Hi folks, it's Rob from the Space Monkey X Audio Workshop. For a few years, I wrote, produced, and hosted a podcast called When You Hear This Sound, a show about the weird and wonderful world of read-along record books and storybook vinyl. As my life got more and more hectic, the episodes became fewer and farther between, until finally I stopped production in April of 2016. I've decided to include these old episodes as part of the Space Monkey X Audio Workshop, not only because I'm pretty proud of them, but because I would like to occasionally put out new When You Hear This Sound episodes under the Audio Workshop banner. I still have well over 100 read-along record books in my collection, and there are a few whose story behind the story would be well worth telling. As you listen to these old episodes, please note that the show notes will not be as extensive as they originally were. The websites where the podcast was hosted are long gone, as are the original show notes. So if you want to know more about something I mentioned in the episode, check the Audio Workshop's website, spacemonkeyx.net, but you may need to do a little Googling on your own. However, if there is a book included with the record, you will be able to find scans of it at the website. So please enjoy this archived episode of When You Hear This Sound, and be sure to look for new ventures into vinyl here at the Space Monkey X Audio Workshop in the future. Hello, boys and girls. I'm your Peter Pan storyteller. This is the story of the last starfighter. This is the story of gremlins. This is the story of Tron. This is the story of Raiders of the Lost Ark. This is the story of the Empire Strikes Back. You can read along with me in your book. You can follow the story along with me. Every time you hear this sound. Every time you hear this sound. Turn the pages when you hear this sound. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the computer sound like this. Let's, let's begin, let's begin now. Hey there, folks. Welcome to the latest episode of When You Hear This Sound. I'm your host, Rob Lamley. If you're anything like me, you're excited that the BBC series Sherlock, starring Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman, is coming back this month for its third series. Although the show has brought Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's infamous detective into the internet age, it's far from the only reimagining of the character. In fact, compared to some of the dozens of non-canon works by authors and filmmakers since the last official home story was published in 1927, the BBC Sherlock is downright quaint. Other alternative takes have seen the detective track down Jack the Ripper, battle of crafty and monstrosities, and gone toe-to-toe with a bioengineered snake man in the 22nd century. However, for an entire generation of kids, the most well-known alternative adaptation of Sherlock Holmes is one that turns the deerstalker-capped, pipe-smoking, violin-playing, magnifying-glass enthusiast into an anthropomorphized mouse, Disney's 1986 animated film The Great Mouse Detective. As with a lot of Disney classics, The Great Mouse Detective was based on a children's book, or rather a series of books, called Basil of Baker Street by Eve Titus. The series starred Basil, the mouse detective, and Dr. Dawson, his rotund sidekick, both of whom lived in the cellar beneath 221B Baker Street, the flat rented by Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. The mice spy on the detecting duo and pick up crime analysis techniques as well as some of their human counterparts' idiosyncrasies, which they use to solve mysteries within the animal underworld. The book series started in 1958 with Basil of Baker Street, followed by 1964's Basil and the Lost Colony, Basil and the Pygmy Cats in 1971, Basil in Mexico in 1976, and finally Basil in the Wild West, published in 1982. 
While none of the stories is a direct adaptation of any of the Holmes canon, there are elements scattered throughout that would be familiar to Sherlockian scholars. A similar method was used for the Disney film, which isn't based on any single book in the series, but picks and chooses pieces from many to come up with an original storyline. The Great Mouse Detective was co-written and co-directed by Disney animators John Musker and Ron Clements, the duo who would later usher in the so-called Disney Renaissance with 1989's The Little Mermaid. The film was the result of nearly five years of pre-production work, during which time Musker and Clements actually had to pitch the project twice, thanks to the Disney corporate shakeup of 1984 that saw Michael Eisner replace then-CEO Ron Miller. While the new boss of the Mouse House liked the project, he also slashed the film's budget from $24 million to a mere $10 million. The smaller budget meant the story had to be cut down from 90 minutes to only 72, forcing Musker and Clements back to the drawing board, so to speak. However, they were able to come up with a script they liked, and production began in earnest in 1984. Once a final green light had been given, casting could begin. Barry Ingham, a veteran of the British stage and screen, signed on as Basil. Val Benton, an American who was known for his perfect English accent, played Dr. Dawson. The young Olivia Flaversham was played by Suzanne Polischek in what would be her one and only role as a professional actor. And any fan of DuckTales... <laughs> will recognize Alan Young as Olivia's father, Hiram Flaversham. The peg-legged bat henchman Fidget was played by Candy Candido. Candido made a name for himself in the 1940s when he used his impressive three-octave voice to play various characters on Jimmy Durante's radio show, famously uttering the catchphrase, I'm feeling mighty low. The biggest name in the cast, though, was none other than Vincent Price, as Basil's arch-nemesis Professor Radigan. Unlike Price's signature roles in horror films like The Fly, House of Wax, and The Last Man on Earth, The Great Mouse Detective gave the actor the opportunity to showcase one of his lesser-known talents, his singing voice. Now comes the real tour de force, tricky and wicked, of course. My earlier crimes were fine for their times, but now that I'm at it again... An even grimmer plot has been simmering in my great criminal brain. Even meaner, you made it. Worse than the widows and orphans you drowned. You're the best of the worst around. That catchy little tune, The World's Greatest Criminal Mind, as well as the rest of the film's music, was written by Henry Mancini, the man behind this famous little ditty. This one. This one. many, many more over the course of his nearly 50-year recording career. Hey, fellas, the time is right. Get ready. Tonight's the night. Boys, what you're hoping for will come true. Let me be good to you. The film only featured three singing performances, which is quite a few less than the average Disney film at the time. Aside from Radigan's signature tune, the only other big showcase song was Let Me Be Good To You, performed by Melissa Manchester, a singer whose biggest hits include the Grammy Award-winning You Should Hear How She Talks About You. Talks 
She also sang one of the most famous covers of Don't Cry Out Loud. Don't cry out loud Just keep it inside Learn how to hide your feelings Although Manchester's performance is great, she was not the first choice for the song. Originally, Musker and Clements had hoped to get pop princess Madonna instead. While I can't confirm it, I imagine the material girl was too worried about cultivating her bad girl image to be a part of a goody two-shoes Disney production and simply turned down the offer. Animation on The Great Mouse Detective only took about a year to complete, thanks in part to a new streamlined production technique first used on Disney's 1985 film The Black Cauldron. Another factor was the use of computer-generated imagery. The Black Cauldron also used some CGI, primarily to animate the cauldron and its bubbly contents, but computers were used much more extensively in Mouse Detective. For the final confrontation inside Big Ben, the gears and cogs of the giant clock were drawn on the computer, and then a virtual camera was flown through the environment frame by frame. The frames were printed out and transferred to animation cells, and then the character artwork was laid in over top. This use of computer imagery helped ensure proper perspective was maintained for the complex gear works while the camera spun around, allowing the film to end with an amazing, dynamic chase scene, the likes of which had never been seen before in animation. Although not the first film to use it, The Great Mouse Detective helped solidify CGI as a useful tool in traditional animation. Soon after, Disney established its first department of computer animation to further explore the new technology's capabilities. Throughout the entire production process, Musker and Clements had been working on a film called Basil of Baker Street. However, in December 1985, just a few months before Basil's scheduled release in July, the film Young Sherlock Holmes came out in theaters and barely broke even at the box office. Seeing the audience's cool reaction to the film, Michael Eisner worried that the name Basil sounded too British for American audiences, and decided to change the name to the more marketable but less interesting title, The Great Mouse Detective. Needless to say, Musker and Clements were not very happy about the new, generic name for their film, nor were many of the other creatives at the studio. In reaction, a satirical inter-office memo was posted stating that previous Disney classics would also have their names changed to be more marketable to a wider audience. Some of the suggested names included The Wooden Boy Who Became Real, The Wonderful Elephant Who Could Really Fly, Puppies Taken Away, A Boy, A Bear, and a Big Black Cat, and Seven Little Men Help a Girl. Despite the last-minute name change, the film was a critical and commercial success, grossing over $38 million at the box office. Unfortunately, The Adventures of Basil and Dawson remain something of a cult film today, suffering from cinematic middle-child syndrome, released too late to be included in the classic Disney canon, and too early to be considered part of the Disney renaissance. It's a real shame, because the film is quite fun and well worth revisiting. The read-along record book of The Great Mouse Detective was produced in 1986 under the Disneyland Records label. I think you'll find that it's a pretty good adaptation, with only minimal cuts to the main storyline, and some really nice voice acting, especially from the nameless actor playing Radigan, who does a decent impression of Vincent Price. The only weak spot is the flat line readings of whoever played Olivia Flaversham. She sounds like she'd rather be getting a root canal than recording for the record. She's a far cry from the lively performance of Olivia in the film. One of the unusual features of Disneyland Records was the inclusion of a musical number on their record book albums. In this case, we get Radigan's signature tune, The World's Greatest Criminal Mind. However, the Disneyland label was historically used to release cheaper cover versions of Disney soundtracks, and that's the same case here, with a cover of Radigan's song rather than the original price performance. Either way, it's a welcome addition, so stick around after the story is over and check it out. And with that, let's listen to Disneyland Records' 1986 release of The Great Mouse Detective. Be sure to head over to TopHatSasquatch.com for scans of the book so you can follow along. This is the story of the Great Mouse Detective. 
You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the chimes ringing, like this. Let's begin now. It was the time of Queen Mousetoria's Diamond Jubilee. Inside a London toy shop, Olivia Flavisham and her father were celebrating Olivia's birthday. Olivia, I made this just for you. Happy birthday. Mr. Flavisham wound up a tiny toy ballerina and set it dancing on the table. Olivia hugged her father. Thank you, father. It's beautiful. Suddenly, the door handle shook. Someone was trying to break in. Olivia's father opened a closet and pushed her inside. Stay in there and don't come out. As Olivia watched through a crack, a peg-legged bat jumped through the window and grabbed Mr. Flavisham. Olivia struggled to get out and help, but the door was stuck. Finally, the latch gave way and she burst out. Her father was gone. Dr. Dawson, a kindly mouse who had just returned from India, found Olivia on the street crying. What's the matter, child? She showed him a newspaper clipping. I must find Basil of Baker Street. I read about him in the newspaper. He's a detective. He can find my father. I don't know any Basil, young lady, but I do remember where Baker Street is. Come along. In an underground room by the waterfront, the bat delivered his prisoner to the evil Professor Radical. The Professor glared at Olivia's father. Build me a mechanical doll. If you fail, I will ring this bell to call my pet cat, Felicia. She just loves mice. He turned to the bat and handed him a sheet of paper. Fidget, here's a list of what we need. And this time, bring me the girl! <laughs> At Basil's flat on Baker Street, the great detective introduced himself to Dr. Dawson, then turned to Olivia. Did the bat who took your father have a broken wing? I don't know, Mr. Basil, but he had a peg leg. Aha! That was Fidget. He works for Professor Radican, the most evil genius in London, and my greatest enemy. Just then, a shadow passed over the window, and Olivia gasped. <gasps> Look, Mr. Basil, there he is now. They raced outside, but the bat had disappeared, leaving a trail of footprints. Dawson picked up a hat lying in the snow. I say, Basil, what's this? It's a clue. Now we can follow him, but first, we must get Toby. Basil pushed open a secret door leading into the living room of his neighbour, Sherlock Holmes. Come here, Toby. We have a case. A giant hound came bounding up. He rolled over and Olivia climbed onto his stomach. <laughs> Mr. Basil, I think Toby is ticklish. Basil held out the cap for Toby to sniff. That's it, boy. Now follow that bat. <laughs> Toby tracked Fidget's scent to a darkened toy store, and the three mice crept inside. Basil looked around curiously. The toy soldiers are missing their uniforms. Radigan must be up to something. Unseen by Basil, 
Fidget wound the key to a knight on horseback, and it galloped towards them. As Basil leaped aside, oh, Fidget swooped down and snatched up Olivia. Dr. Dawson looked on in horror. Basil, he has the girl. Basil dashed after them, but he was too late. Fidget escaped through the roof with his prisoner. Fidget carried Olivia to Ratican's hideout and put her inside a large bottle. Professor cackled. <laughs> I have your daughter, Flavicum. Now finish your task without delay. Ratigan settled into a throne-like chair. Fidget, my plan takes place tonight. I shall soon be ruler of all Mousedom. Back at the toy shop, Dawson discovered a scrap of paper that Fidget had dropped. Basil examined it with glee. This is precisely what we need, Dawson. Back to Baker Street. At his flat, Basil looked at the paper with a magnifying glass. I can tell that this note was written in a seedy pub near the waterfront. If we go there, perhaps we can find Radigan's hideout. Disguised as sailors, Basil and Dawson sauntered into the Rat Trap Saloon. Basil stepped up to the bar. We are looking for an old friend of mine. Maybe you know him. Goes by the name of Ratigan. <gasps> At that moment, Fidget walked in. He ducked behind the bar and disappeared. Basil vaulted over the bar. Dawson, follow me. They climbed down into the dank sewers beneath the saloon. Dawson felt his way along the corridor. My word, Basil, it's dark. I can barely see where we're going. The sewer turned sharply and ended in a grate that looked into a wine cellar. Basil grasped Dawson's shoulder. We found it. Radigan's secret hideout. Basil and Dawson opened the grate and crept into the room. There, imprisoned in the bottle, was Olivia. Basil started to pull out the cork. We'll get you out of there. Suddenly, the figure in the bottle turned, grinning. It wasn't Olivia, it was Fidget. Ratigan's henchman leaped out and grabbed them. Ratigan sneered triumphantly. I see you stumbled into my trap, Basil. Ratigan tied Basil and Dawson onto a mouse trap. <laughs> I have so many ingenious ways of getting rid of you. I can't decide which to use. So I'll use them all. <laughs> he pointed at a crossbow and axe, then signaled Fidget to turn on the record player. <laughs> when the record finishes playing, so ends the career of Basil of Baker Street. Ratigan smiled wickedly. Do excuse me. I have an engagement at Buckingham Palace. When they were alone, Dawson looked fearfully at Basil. I say, what do you think he meant? The Queen is in danger and the Empire is doomed. There's nothing we can do. Ratigan was too clever for me this time. Dawson struggled against the ropes. You must think of something. You're Basil of Baker Street. Basil eyed the trap, and his face lit up. We'll set it off ourselves. If we time this just right, we can escape. 
He and Dawson reached for the triggering device. The record ended, starting a chain reaction. Now, Dawson, now! They released the trigger, springing a metal ball at the weapons. The crossbow fired, and the axe came down. But instead of killing them, it sliced the trap in half, right between Basil and Dawson. They were free! At Buckingham Palace, the Queen was getting ready for her diamond jubilee when Rattigan and his henchmen burst in. The Queen glared at him. You'll never get away with this. Grinning, Rattigan brought out a mechanical doll made by Flavisham. <laughs> this doll looks and talks just like you. I think it should do the trick. As Flavisham worked the controls, the mechanical queen stepped outside to greet the crown. I present my new royal consort, Professor Rattigan. Just then, Toby dashed up, carrying Basil, Dawson and Olivia, whom they had released. Basil grabbed the controls, making the mechanical queen point at Rattigan. You're nothing but a common sewer rat. You're under arrest. <laughs> the crowd surged forward to pounce on Rattigan. Quickly, Fidget swooped down and captured Olivia. Rattigan called to the crowd. Stay where you are, or the girl dies! Holding Olivia, they leaped into Rattigan's propeller-driven blimp and flew off into the night sky. Basil grabbed Dawson and Flavisham. Get those balloons. We'll use them to chase Rattigan. The balloons swept them up into the sky towards Rattigan's blimp. As they closed in, Basil leaped through the air to the blimp and hung on tight. Dawson called out to his friend. Basil, ahead of you. It's Big Ben. Before the blimp could turn, it smashed into London's famous clock tower and stayed there. Basil leaped clear into the clockworks. When he looked up, there stood Rattigan, holding Olivia. She pulled free and yelled as Rattigan lunged at the detective. Basil, watch out! They grappled, falling headlong into the gears. Basil caught a cable and pulled himself up just in time to see a gear grinding toward the little girl. I'm coming, Olivia! Basil leaped and snatched her from danger. As he pulled at her safety, Olivia pointed. Basil, look, it's my daddy! Dawson and Flavisham's balloons had brought them even with the top of the clock. Basil handed Olivia to her father. Take her, Flavisham! It was just in time. Rattigan flung himself at Basil, and together they tumbled off the roof of Big Ben. They crashed down onto the hands of the giant clock, then slid open. As they tumbled past the blimp, Basil reached for the propeller. It came off in his hand, and he and Rattigan disappeared into the clouds. As Dawson and the others watched, the propeller rose from the mist with Basil peddling it. He was safe. The great mouse detective had saved the Empire, and Olivia and her father were together at last. To the Big Ben caper, the head that made headlines in every newspaper by scampering up and tampering with 
panhampering time and becoming a myth. Now comes the real to divorce. Tricky and wicked, of course. The big Ben crime was fine for its time, but now that I'm back again. Even grimmer plot has been simmering in my great criminal brain. Even meaner, you mean it. Worse than the widows and orphans you drown. You're the best of the worst around. Oh, Radigan! Oh, Radigan! The rest fall behind. To Radigan! To Radigan! The world's greatest criminal mind. Thank you. These dark and devilish urges guide me This cruel and unusual gift that's inside me Does wondrous things like the tower bridge job The cunning display that made London a sub Picking them off one by one Picking them off just for fun Such privilege my view from the bridge As all of them bobbed and sank but now this matchless plot I've been hatching's a much more unnatural prank. Even louder, we'll shout it. No one can doubt what we know you can do. You're the 